So we pick up our study in the book of Acts, and we look at chapter 11. So if you want to find your Bible real quick or turn to it in your Bible app, let's go to Acts chapter 11. This is sort of it's what we call in the platform a segue. Luke is changing the historical direction and of his story. He's not changing the history, but he's changing what he's going to emphasize. Up through chapter 11, we have seen the birth and the establishment of the church. After chapter 11, especially after chapter 12, we see the expansion of the church, the development of the church as it becomes a worldwide entity. All of that region and known world at that point in time, 2,000 years ago, has the opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear that message of hope that's found in Jesus. Chapter 11, particularly the very last part that we're in, we're going to start down in verse 19, it's a part of that segue. It's a part of that shift. If you were reading a book or reading a comic, this would be the whole little caption at the top of the frame that says, meanwhile, while everything else has been going on, this has been taking place and this is what we're going to look at going from this point forward. 10 years, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, 10 years has elapsed since we met who will become the Apostle Paul. We'll see him again. He, he comes back on the scene in this section of passage as Saul. His name will be changed to Paul by the time we get to chapter 13. And we begin to see his life now. We met him in chapter 9 when he became a Christian, when he made that decision, just like we talked about during Lord's Supper, to be a follower of Jesus to believe in Jesus. He had an encounter, he had an experience with Jesus, and he has walked forward with faith. He returned to his home in Tarsus, north of everywhere we've looked at so far. And at the conclusion of this, Barnabas, another new driver in the picture, will go and get him and bring him back to Antioch. That's the center of location geographically that we're in in this moment. This is a look at the church in Antioch a developed church that's doing ministry. It was established, it was birthed from the message of hope found in Jesus and people just like you and me who trusted in, believed in, and experienced Jesus. Their lives have been transformed and now they are a part of the ongoing ministry, the ongoing development of the church. And that's kind of the meanwhile moment for us and that's what we're going to look at as we look at Acts chapter 11 and as we look at these verses. Two real quick announcements, just in case you're not at Acts chapter 11, verse 19 yet. I see the doctor Tuesday. I want you, everyone to pray that this thing comes off and never comes on again. I'm tired of taking 10 minutes just to button up a shirt, but I will always be appreciative of thumbs from this point forward. Looking forward to that. Secondly, construction has begun on our new site. So if you're a guest with us, we're actually in the process of relocating. We're here for about one more year. Next summer, uh, summer of 2025, we'll be on our new campus over on 249. We'll start on the Quinn side of that property. Construction has begun. If you are accustomed to going out there on a regular basis, I need to ask you from an insurance standpoint, please don't do that anymore. But a lot of us have been real free with that property over the years. I've trained dogs out there. I've done archery practice with my son out there. Um, people have played golf out there. We've done a lot of fun stuff out there. But for the next 12 to 15 months, it's shut down um, securely. It is a hard hat area only. And so um, 
I'm going to have to change from a ball cap when I go out there to a hard hat these days. But construction has begun. They've been drying dirt for the last two years. Never thought I'd actually see that. But in southeast Texas, you have to dry dirt before you can actually do anything with it. They've been drying dirt for the last two weeks. Construction has begun this week. They're starting to actually build the detention areas um, and build the pad for the new church and for the new building. So that's an exciting thing. But just a reminder, if you go by to do one of your usual activities, you'll find that everything's fenced off, everything's locked. And if it's unlocked, you'll get stopped in the parking lot and asked to put on a hard hat. I don't know if they're including one for the dogs. We'll have to see. Just about all of our contractors own dogs and have dogs with them. That was one of the reasons they got the bid. So anyway, but anyway. <laughs> Let's look at Saul for a moment. Let's look at what's happening in Antioch. This is, this is an exciting moment in the book of Acts. It's one of those moments that honestly, if you're reading through the book of Acts, you probably got to this part of this chapter and you kind of read through and you thought, oh, that's kind of cool. There's a church in Antioch and you probably just moved on to the next story because it doesn't have a lot of enticing drama in it. It's as if Luke is just trying to catch us up and say, okay, this is what's been going on the last 10 years. In verse 19, his dialogue shifts and changes. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. That's the transition we've spent the last three weeks looking at. The gospel, the message of hope now has moved from a Jewish background to Gentiles, to Greeks, to people from other nations, and it is now an international, it is now a global faith that is focused solely and completely on Jesus. In verse 20, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus, which is an island just off the coast, or Cyrene, which is actually the northern part of Africa, that's how far the gospel is going, who came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news, that's that message of hope in Jesus, about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The church is scattered because of persecution. But where the church goes, regardless of the reason that it went, it is sharing the faith and people are becoming followers. People are making that decision to believe in and trust Jesus and the church is now an international, global, world-impacting organization and Christianity is now a worldwide faith. That may seem kind of simple to us because it's always been that way for our lifetime. Most of us, if you've grown up in church, you've been in church any length of time, you've heard about missionary endeavors in, in foreign countries. You've heard about missionary endeavors here in the United States. You've heard about church planting, or you've heard about, about projects, and you've been a part of, of ministries. You may have been a part of some of those. We had a team in Africa last year. We've sent teams um, literally in a variety of places all over the world. We're going to continue doing that. Uh, I think our students have got some mission plans this summer. Um, I may be unveiling that ahead of schedule, but there are some plans for our students this summer to do mission work. For most of us, the church has always been a worldwide entity, but this is the beginning of that. It's as if you follow all the tributaries and you're at, at the source, and Antioch becomes the church that is a major factor, partially because geographically, Antioch's kind of in the middle of the spread. You have Jerusalem towards the southern end, and then you move up 
You have Samaria, you have Syria, you have Phoenicia, and then you come to Antioch, kind of at the top of the Holy Lands. You have Paul, who's been over in Tarsus, which is over in Cilicia, and you have now these individuals who have gone down to Alexander and all the way to the west, to the, to the west in Cyrene. Most of the known Roman Empire now has the opportunity to hear the gospel. God intentionally moves us. An important lesson in the book of Acts, and especially in chapter 11, is that reality that sometimes events are a part of things that are thrust on us, but God has a plan and God has a reason for it. The church is being persecuted. Stephen has already been martyred. We will see in chapter 2, other leaders who will be martyred, who will lose their lives for the faith. But while the church is being persecuted, the church is going places, and everywhere the church goes, the message of Jesus is heard. And when it's heard, people believe, and when they believe, they become followers of Jesus. And the church begins to develop. Not only that, but the church is experiencing a dynamic faith. Truthfully, in this section, these are probably my two to three favorite verses. In verse 22, it says, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas. We met Barnabas back in chapter 9. He was the one guy that would stick up for the apostle Paul after Saul had made that decision to trust Jesus. And everybody's like, this guy hates the church. He's got to be faking it. He couldn't possibly have become a Christian. He was, his purpose, his driving purpose, his authorization from the Jerusalem church, from the Jerusalem synagogues was to persecute Christians. And Barnabas shows up and says, look, no, he's a true believer. Well, we dropped all of that 10 years ago. Paul's been back in Tarsus. Now Barnabas is in Jerusalem, but Barnabas is sent to Antioch to see exactly what's taking place. In verse 23, it says, when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. It's a dynamic faith. It's an exciting faith. Things are happening that are worth celebrating. And I love that image. Barnabas is by nature and personality. We know from looking at all the records we have, he is by nature and encouraging. He's a fun guy. He's a guy you want to be with. When you're in a bad mood, Barnabas is the guy that can actually lift you up, not make it worse. He's the guy you want to drink coffee with when you're frustrated because he can help you sort of sort through the weeds of that frustration and figure out a plan and a strategy and all the while feeling like I can actually do this. And so they sent Barnabas. Barnabas is naturally going to see things in their best light. But Luke recognizes when Barnabas gets to Antioch, his first impression is happiness. He is glad to see the grace of God. Have you ever been in a church or maybe a concert some Christian venue where something was taking place. Maybe it was a seminar. Maybe it was, maybe it was a conference you had attended. And as you experienced that moment, you just sensed, yes, God's here. God loves. God cares. He's a part of what's happening. That's seeing the grace of God. Have you ever watched somebody's face when you were a part of a mission project? And maybe you gave them a gift that was sent with you. 
Or maybe you helped them understand for the very first time that Jesus is everything that he says he is and that if they believe him, if they trust him, their lives will be changed. And, they, and it makes sense. And it acknowledges. And, and, they, and they, they respond to it and say, yes, I want to believe in Jesus. You ever been a part of a children's program? And the kids start to sing. And there's just an unusual happiness. There's an unusual enthusiasm as they sing about God's love, maybe in very simple phrases. But on their faces, you recognize they understand that in Jesus, they are safe. In Jesus, they are loved. In Jesus, they are secure. In Jesus, they have a future. In Jesus, there's a plan that's worth living. That's seeing the grace of God. The vast majority of us have witnessed and seen the grace of God on a regular basis. Many of us have seen it and didn't recognize it immediately. What I want to encourage us in this is, as we experience dynamic faith, recognize and understand the grace of God and rejoice in those moments. And in the rejoicing, encourage one another. I mean, I, I love this. This is, this is the dream I had 15 years ago for this church, and this is the dream that I see fulfilled today in the life of this church, that when you come here, when you visit here, you see the grace of God, and you're glad, and you encourage one another. And that encouragement is very serious. It's not just, it's not just a feel-good moment. It's not just a moment designed to make you feel good. It's a moment that is designed to take you to a deeper and better place. They were encouraged to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. And that comes out of our character. It comes out of who we are, that, that we are, like Barnabas, good people, full of the Holy Spirit, led by God with established faith that changes everything. The new church, the established church, begins to develop leadership. In verse 25, after Barnabas' experience, it says, then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What's happening here are new drivers. They're changing out the driver's seat. Peter has been in the forefront up to this point. Peter will remain a leader, but Peter's going to return to Jerusalem, and he's going to remain primarily in Jerusalem. <clears throat> Paul is going to pick it up from here, and he's going to drive forward with most, most of the missionary activity that takes place in the second half of the book of Acts. Healthy churches, like the New Testament church, the church in the book of Acts, develops leadership. We don't see it. You have to know the timelines to understand this. But for 10 years, 10 years, Saul has been back in his hometown. He hasn't been just sitting there. He hasn't been just ignoring his previous Judeo faith. He's been learning. He's been growing. He's actually spent time, we know from other accounts in Scripture, learning from Jesus directly. And he's now ready to lead the church. And this new leadership is going to take this church to a place that nobody could imagine. The Apostle Paul will write over a third of the New Testament. He will plant churches in regions that the people in Jerusalem never imagined the church would go. In Ephesus, and Philippi, and Colossae, 
and Thessalonica. All over that region, you pull out a Bible map from anywhere or Google it real quick and look at it. All over that whole northern region, going beyond Galatia, going beyond Greece, going further into Asia, the Apostle Paul will lead that endeavor. We always need new leadership. And then I find it interesting that of all the great things happening, Luke acknowledges that the church embraces generosity. In verse 27, in those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they're at that kind of home church in Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. And so Luke both acknowledges the prophecy, the, the insight that the Holy Spirit had given Agabus, but also recognizes for us, who are now reading it 2,000 years later, oh, by the way, this was a true prophecy. It actually happened, and it actually literally historically happened during the reign of Claudius when Claudius was over the Roman Empire. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did it, sending by the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. This is what we do every week. Each of the disciples makes a decision out of our own capacity to give and to accomplish God's work. In this case, it was specifically a relief situation. They would provide for the church when the church is unable to provide for itself. And they would send those gifts, and those gifts would magnify and further develop the church because they had embraced generosity. I hear this on a regular basis, and it kind of rubs me wrong sometimes, and I'm just going to tell you that. Oh, churches, I don't hear so much about us, but I hear about the church in general. Churches, all they talk about is giving. When you have been given as much as we have been given from Jesus... There is no dollar amount that compares. The church was founded by a generous God. He gave up everything so that you and I might have life, so that you and I might enjoy our marriages, enjoy our families, enjoy our jobs, and enjoy our lives, and look forward at the end of this life to going to a place that's so filled with joy it's beyond description. God gave everything. If a church isn't generous, then it simply doesn't know its roots. Our God is a generous God. And our God is a God who loves through his generosity. And so, yes, it makes sense. When you come to a church, some of them have offerings, passing plates side by side still. Others like ours have boxes, online availability. But the church is a generous place. Christians are generous people. And I just challenge us as our church develops, the same way the church developed in the book of Acts, let's be generous, extravagantly generous. In any venue that we find ourselves, whether that's at a store, whether that's at a restaurant with a wait staff, whether that's in the context of church and supporting the ministries of a church, whether that's when we hear or become aware of somebody that has a need and we step in to intervene, 
it'll always be a stretch. It'll always be a test. We are not naturally generous, but God changes that. The truth is most of what the scriptures actually ask us to be, we're not naturally that way. We're not naturally holy. It is not a natural inclination to be a pure person. It is not a natural inclination to do the disciplines necessary, to be aware of an understanding of scripture. It's not a natural inclination to pray. It's not a natural inclination to worship. It's not a natural inclination to accept various types and spheres of these activities. All of this is done because the Holy Spirit changes our heart. So the next time you're enjoying the disciplines of our spirituality, the next time we're praying, the next time we're reading our scriptures, reading our Bibles and trying to understand it, the next time we tell somebody about the love of Jesus, let God change our heart and be a generous people. My secret prayer is that everywhere the people of First Baptist go, they would leave behind glad They would leave behind people encouraged, regardless of what their situation is. The people would see the grace of God through us. And I'm just telling you, one of the most visible ways to see the grace of God is through generosity. Find somebody, someone to give to this week.